Have you ever wondered what happens in the human body after you take cyanide? What if you take cyanide and live? Is there an antidote? What happens if someone drinks a bottle of pesticide or starts going blind from drinking windshield wiper fluid? What if someone takes their whole month of blood pressure medicine all at once? What if it's only two or three days? When does it matter? What do you do if someone shows up to the ER and tells you their husband is poisoning them? If you want answers to these questions and many more, keep listening. This is the Poison Lab. Hey everybody, you are listening to The Poison Lab, a show about poisoning from those who treat poisonings. I'm your host, clinical toxicologist and emergency medicine pharmacist, Ryan. And this is our first episode, or maybe even prequel episode. See, on this show, we are going to talk about the history, science, and medical management of poisonings and everything in between. We'll look at the mechanisms of how poisons affect our bodies, what antidotes we have to treat them, and the normal medical management of those poisonings, as well as the data to support our clinical decisions. But today, since this is our very first episode, we have to get some introductions out of the way. Like, why are we even making this show? What is a toxicologist? Why are there so many different kinds? And what do we consider a poison to begin with? We're going to dive right in. If you think this stuff is boring, just skip to the next episode where we talk about poisoning. But maybe listen to the end of this episode where we'll introduce the case for episode two. So, why are we making this show to begin with? I'll explain a little bit more about my job later, but as a clinical toxicologist, I have the opportunity to treat poison patients on a regular basis. And I think it's my second favorite thing to do. Stopping a lethal Tylenol ingestion in its tracks or preventing someone from going blind after drinking windshield wiper fluid by using knowledge of biochemistry and metabolic pathways or bringing somebody out of a drug-induced comatose state by using another drug that reverses its effects. It's really powerful to see. But like I said, I think that's my second favorite thing to do. My first favorite thing to do is talk about poisonings. It's the razzle-dazzle of the pharmacology, biochemistry, and physiology of poisoning without the risk of life or limb-threatening injury on the line. Unfortunately, when I'm confronted with a patient clinically, I don't always have the time that I want to think through all the assumptions that we're making about the poison. I frequently have to rely on my past experiences and guidelines or studies that I've read to make a decision before any harm might come to the patient. So that's what this podcast is for, so that I can slow think about some of the clinical conundrums that I've run into while trying to manage poisoned patients. So I can take more time to dive into the evidence that supports our therapeutic decisions and really rethink how the poison is affecting the body and the clinical decisions we make around that. Less 2 plus 2 equals 4 and more why does 2 plus 2 equal 4? Depending on how things pan out, we'll do a few other things along the way, like answering some questions from the internet about poisoning, reviewing some more interesting toxicology case reports, talking about what you should do if you do get exposed to a poison, and how to actually manage it in a hospital, as well as everything in between. So if you're wondering if this show is for you, well, it's for anyone who wants to know about poisoning. 
A background in science might help, but we'll do our best to define and explain everything along the way. If you're a medical professional, this is a great chance to review how poisonings might present and how we treat them. And if you're not, this is a great chance to learn more about the infinite poisons that the world has to offer and how they affect our bodies. If we talk about something that you don't understand or there's something you want to hear more about, just reach out to us. Our email is talkstalk1 at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at labpoison and myself at empoisonfarmd. And we have a website, thepoisonlab.com, where all shows, show notes, episodes, as well as other toxicology learning resources can be found. Hey, Ryan, what is a clinical toxicologist? Whoa, Toxo, I didn't even see you there. Would you mind introducing yourself? I am Toxo, your robot co-host. Well, I certainly appreciate you, Toxo, but... Others might be confused why I have a robot co-host. Would you mind explaining? I am here to provide on-point witty banter and break up your droning scientific dribble. I mean, I don't think it's that boring. Also, my cognitive processing power is exponentially greater than yours, giving me a far superior understanding of the physiologic and biologic foundation of the treatments you are discussing, and I too like to talk about poisons. Sounds fair to me. And you raise a good point. We should probably explain what a toxicologist is. Admittedly, It's kind of a nebulous word. If we were to consult the great oracle of the internet, Wikipedia, it would say that toxicology is a scientific discipline overlapping with biology, chemistry, pharmacology, and medicine that involves the study of adverse effects of chemical substances on living organisms and the practice of diagnosing and treating exposures to toxins or toxicants. So you could see it's multidisciplinary requiring scientists from many different fields, some to figure out the effects of poisons, some to figure out how to test for poisons, and some to treat those that have been poisoned. I like to think of a toxicologist as anyone who researches, evaluates, or manages the interaction between substance and life. There's actually a few different types of toxicologists, and To make things even more confusing, the terminology we use is not always the same in the United States as it is in places like Australia, Asia, or Europe. So I'm going to clarify what it means to be a toxicologist in the United States. And we'll start with the kinds of toxicologists that I am not. I'd love to dive more into this, but I'm not sure I have enough of your time or attention span to talk in depth about each specialty. So we have research toxicologists. These are the people that are doing studies of substances on living tissue to figure out their effects. Then we have veterinary toxicologists. These are veterinarians that manage poisoning and overdose in animals. Next, we have analytical toxicologists. These are scientists trying to find toxins in tissue, so figuring out ways to quantify it or identify it. Frequently, these are forensic toxicologists. They work closely with pathologists and try to identify if there's a poison involved with a death. There's a great podcast out there called ToxPod by two analytical toxicologists in Australia if you want to hear more about the lab side of things. Okay, so who manages poisoning and overdose in humans? Well, many healthcare providers see a variety of different poisonings and generally know the basics of management, and some of them might be very good at treating some poisonings. But who are the experts in poisoning and overdose? Who do the healthcare providers call when they need help managing a poisoning? The kind of people that write the guidelines about how to manage these. This is where medical and clinical toxicologists come in. 
A medical toxicologist is a physician who completed a residency in a medical specialty, like emergency medicine, internal medicine, pediatrics, or neurology. Some even go on and do further fellowship training to specialize in things like nephrology or kidney doctors. And afterwards, went on to pursue fellowship training in medical toxicology. These folks are bright bulbs in a sea of already bright bulbs. A clinical toxicologist is a non-physician other healthcare worker with their terminal degree, about 99% being pharmacists like myself, but there are also PhDs and nurses. These healthcare workers have generally gone on to complete postdoctoral fellowship training or residency training in clinical toxicology. In addition to meeting the minimum requirements for routine patient care related to poisoning, as well as teaching, research, publication, and advisory in toxicology to qualify to sit for the American Board of Applied Toxicology exam. Both medical and clinical toxicologists have to meet minimum criteria to apply just to sit for their board examination and, once accepted, must pass their respective board exam to be considered a board-certified clinical or medical toxicologist. I think right now there's about four or 500 medical toxicologists in the United States and, at my last check, about 120 clinical or non-physician toxicologists. Many of our duties are similar and they can overlap. We all usually work together. Generally speaking, a clinical toxicologist working and managing poisoned patients always has access to a medical toxicologist to reach out to for things that they might not have had training on in their academic career, like expanded differentials for a disease state or interpretation of some diagnostic imaging. Many of us have a regular clinical care day job. For instance, I work in an emergency department, and many medical toxicologists are emergency medicine physicians and also work in an ER. But to practice toxicology, they might work in another venue or as part of another service. Some hospitals will have a toxicology admitting service where people with severe poisonings are admitted under the care of the toxicologist and they write all the orders for the medicines the patient should receive. Other systems will have a consult service where if a patient is admitted under the internal medicine doctor, they can request a consult from a toxicologist who will write a note that says, use this antidote at this time until these labs look normal, etc., etc. There's also toxicology clinics where chronic issues can be managed, such as following up on the lead poisoning or starting medicines to prevent withdrawal in substance use disorder. And then there's legal cases. Many of us get involved in expert witness testimony. For example, if a patient is found deceased and a drug level is identified during autopsy, we might get involved to assess whether the clinical picture prior to death and the findings on autopsy are consistent with the normal physiologic effects the toxin should have, or if perhaps there was another cause for the demise. And of course, many toxicologists are involved either through their fellowship training or in their day-to-day practice with poison centers. So let's explain what a poison center is and who works there. A poison center is this amazing free-to-the-public resource that keeps people who have been exposed to poisons out of the hospital if they don't need to go and gets people to the hospital if they do need to go. And once they're at the hospital, they play an integral role in recommending treatments and monitoring patients after they've been exposed to a toxin. When you call a poison center, the person who answers the phone on the other side is called a spy or a specialist in poison information. 
These are healthcare workers, usually nurses or pharmacists, sometimes physicians or advanced practice providers, with extensive training in management of toxic exposures and poisoning. They are the ones answering the phone when mom is concerned because her daughter got into a tablet of her depression medicine, or when little Timmy calls because he found his father on the floor and his whole bottle of blood pressure medicine on the ground next to him empty. They are like a combination of 911 dispatcher and mad poisoning scientists. I mean, they operate a free public access line that people can call when they think they've been poisoned. If you ever have a chance to talk with a spy, you should really pick their brain. Because every one of them has dealt with some crazy scenarios. And they are extremely good at extracting very important information from high-stress situations, like exactly how much a patient was exposed to and what the real risk of this exposure is. After they've figured out what the patient has been exposed to, they provide initial treatment recommendations and use guidelines to assess whether the patient can stay at home and safely be managed there or if they need to go to an emergency department for critical interventions to prevent the patient from decompensating. And they also take phone calls from physicians or providers at hospitals who want help treating specific poisonings. You see, poisonings don't happen all that often at any one specific hospital. Your internal medicine doctor, who's treating their fifth Tylenol poisoning in the last five years, might not have as much experience as the specialist in poison information, who's been following five Tylenol overdoses per day for the last five years and is more familiar with the different clinical scenarios that can present themselves in these poisonings and the milieu of day-to-day treatment and monitoring. So spies have a wealth of experience in managing poisoned patients and are armed with guidelines from medical and clinical toxicologists to manage any number of poisonings. But if something happens outside of these guidelines or it's something they're not comfortable with, that's when medical and clinical toxicologists generally get involved. We will get involved if a toxicologist consult is specifically requested or if it's a more rare or unusual poisoning that the guidelines don't always fit for like gyromitra esquilenta poisoning, false morel mushrooms, which cause intractable seizures that you can't treat with the normal medicines, or the man who arrives to the emergency department with abdominal pain because he has two kilos of cocaine double-wrapped in condoms and packed into his body, or any number of rare and difficult-to-manage poisonings, as well as normal poisonings that just aren't taking the normal route. The patient's not getting better despite adequate therapy. I guess I should explain where I fit into all this. I don't want to go into too much detail. If you're really curious, check out thepoisonlab.com under the About section. There's some information about my background, training, and interests there. But I am an emergency medicine pharmacist and clinical toxicologist. I want to explain what that means because when I tell people I'm a pharmacist, they always seem surprised to find out that my work involves managing poisoning and overdoses or helping keep people alive in emergency rooms. See, when I say the word pharmacist, the first thing that pops into your mind is probably a friendly face behind a counter who wants to talk with you about your medicines. And my outpatient colleagues do an amazing job in managing their community's health care. But because they're so visible, not everyone knows about the other roles that pharmacists can play. So I want to explain a little bit more about my background and advanced training that brought me to this role. I went to school and got a doctorate in pharmacy and learned about how drugs can affect the body and how the body can affect drugs. 
After I finished my degree, I went on and did two years of specialty residency training, doing research and focusing on emergency medicine and toxicology. Many pharmacists go on and do specialty residencies in infectious disease, internal medicine, critical care, cardiology, pediatrics, transplant. There's too many to name. They go on to work as clinical pharmacists who are integral to the healthcare team and making sure you get the best cost-effective evidence-based medicine for you and the disease being treated. When the medical team is rounding on you, making therapeutic decisions, they're part of that team, advising on which drugs to use, and actually dosing and monitoring many of your drugs like blood thinners or antibiotics. But you as the patient might not interact with them as much as the other healthcare members, so you might not be aware that they're such a key player in your care, off in the shadows watching over to make sure you're getting what you need. During my second year of residency, where I was focusing on the clinical management of emergencies and poisoning and overdose, I began working in a poison center as a specialist in poison information, as well as rounding with the toxicology team and doing toxicology research. After I graduated residency, I stayed on full-time in an emergency department. So that's my full-time gig. I work alongside a medical team of physicians and nurses and technicians and respiratory therapists and help stabilize critically ill or emergent patients when they're in the extremis of their disease. And this involves both poisoned and non-poisoned patients. The whole time, I stayed on working at a poison center as a spy, managing poisonings throughout the state and doing toxicology research. So four years after getting my doctorate and two years of postdoctoral clinical residency training and four total years of routinely managing poison patients and doing toxicology research and teaching, I was able to become board certified as a clinical toxicologist. So my full-time practice is at an emergency department dealing with sick patients, but I also work as a toxicologist at the Poison Center, taking hospital consults for poison patients and other things like writing guidelines, legal cases, research, and teaching. Wow. Ryan. Everyone now knows what a toxicologist is, but I'm not sure anyone is paying attention anymore. The long and short is clinical and medical toxicologists manage poisoned patients either at the bedside, in their day-to-day work, in the hospital, over the phone, in the clinic, and anywhere there might be a patient with poison. So, I think that raises the question, what exactly is a poison? Seriously, Ryan. Another definition? Yes, Toxo. But this one's really important. I just want to make sure everybody's on the same page. And poisons are commonly misunderstood. See, the word poison comes from the Latin word potio, meaning potion. Or it's also derived from the word poter, to drink. And poisons have been in human history longer than the written language itself. When you say the word poison, it conjures up images of smoky, effervescent liquids or maybe shooting someone in the leg with a dart from an umbrella gun. Unfortunately, those are rarely what I get called about. The most common poisonings, just due to the sheer availability, are those that are all around you. Take a look around you right now. It shouldn't take you more than 10 seconds to find a poisonous or toxic substance in your home. And that's because literally everything is a poison. There's a really famous toxicology saying credited to a physician in the 1500s known as Paracelsus. All things are poison and nothing is without poison. The dosage alone makes it so a thing is not a poison. The age-old saying, the dose makes the poison. Some things might be more potent toxins than others, but anything can be a poison. Even the things that have medical benefits 
are poisonous when the dose overwhelms the biologic system. Oxygen can cause oxygen toxicity, seizures, free radical production. Water, too much water leads to dangerously low salt levels. Those medicines that keep our bodies healthy and have very good positive impacts, when we take too much of them or aren't at the right dose, we experience toxicity or poisonous effects. What about salt? Is that poison? If you get too much. Asphalt? Depends on the dose. Cobalt? Chocolate malt? Literally anything is a poison when the dose pushes the biologic system beyond its compensating abilities. It's all about the dose. So there you have it. You know what a poison is. You know what a toxicologist is, and you know what we're going to talk about on this show. I think we've covered everything we can for our first episode. Ryan, if everything is poison, does that mean we are all exposed to poisons every day? Well, at the very least, potential poisons. I guess you could say we're all poison eaters, and some of us are poison treaters. And some of us are poison tweeters. <sighs> Stick with being a hyper-intelligent robo-toxicologist, Toxo. But we should share our social media so people know where to find us. You can find all episodes of this show, as well as toxicology learning resources, free medical education videos, and free medical education games at thepoisonlab.com. Follow Toxo on Twitter at LabPoison and myself at EMPoisonFarmD to keep up with new episodes or announcements. And I do think we have an Instagram. Toxo's programming for Instagram was not as clear. I believe the name is PoisonLab, or it might be Tox underscore Talk. We'll get that figured out. Either way, you can always reach out to us at our Gmail, ToxTalk1 at gmail.com, and we really hope you do. Before we close out the show, I'm going to play the intro for our next episode. So, if you think you know what poison we might be dealing with, or you want to learn more about it, make sure you tune in to the next episode of The Poison Lab. Toxo, can you play the intro? In February of 2015, a California man was found semi-conscious surrounded by pools of spilled chemicals. The chemicals were emitting a greenish-yellow bubbling gas. The fumes appeared to have overwhelmed the man. He had chemical burns on his back and face. His eyes appeared red and irritated. 911 was contacted, and when emergency responders arrived, he was struggling to breathe. He was brought to an emergency department, and it was found that he had severe chemical burns in his lungs. He later passed away from his injuries that day. Okay, that's the case for the next show. If you think you know what we're dealing with and you want to learn more about it, or maybe you don't know, and you want to help prevent tragic and unnecessary loss of life due to incidental poisoning, tune in for the next show. Hey, Toxo, can you play us out? The information on this show is for educational purposes only and should not be interpreted as medical advice or treatment recommendations. Please contact your doctor for any health questions or call your local poison center at 1-800-222-1222 for poison-related questions. This show is poorly written and shoddily produced by Ryan Feldman. Subscribe for future episodes and don't forget to share with your nerdy friends. See you next time. Goodbye.